Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for joining me on the Australian Finance Podcast today. Thank you for having me here. Uh, Super excited to be here and chatting to you and sharing what we're building at Forage. Yeah, it's really exciting. And I wanted to get you on today because the world's just changing so rapidly at the moment. Teams are becoming distributed as uh, we were listening to a podcast all about that the other week. The working from home model's changing and it's been a little bit overwhelming for people and we haven't really had the chance to step back and talk about things like this. It all just was trial by fire. And I think one of the most important things at the moment is getting that hands-on work experience, which was really challenging in the last year. So I'm really excited to get you on today to talk a little bit about what you've done at Forage and some really interesting sort of skills and use of technology that people can focus on when they're building their career in this modern world. So Tom, I'm thrilled you took the time to join me today on the show. And before we get started, I'd love if you could talk a little bit about you, how you ended up where you are, and what is Forage all about? For sure. Well, I'll try keep it the description short and snappy. But <laughs> I'm Tom Brunskill and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Forage. I am Australian, as you can obviously tell, but I'm based here in San Francisco. My co-founder, Pasha, who's our CTO, is based in Sydney and we actually do have 20 to 25 staff in Australia. And what we do at Forage is we host what we call virtual work experience programs. So the best way to think about these programs is that they're online training courses for university students to do to experience what it's like to work at particular companies. So for example, if you enrolled in our Citibank institutional banking program, you'd be learning how to prepare like a discounted cash flow valuation. You'd be learning how to navigate a fictional M&A transaction. If you enrolled in our our L'Oreal marketing program, for example, you would learn how to launch a marketing brief for like a new product launch. And the purpose of these courses isn't to replicate what you learn at university. The purpose of the courses is to allow you to kind of immerse yourself in what it's like to work at these different companies and kind of build some tangible skills and some tangible kind of like career visibility around what it is that you might actually want to go off and do. So yeah, we work with a bunch of large companies around the world, Goldman Sachs, BCG, Accenture, KPMG, those types of brands. And yeah, that, that's that's really what we do. Yeah. And you were doing this all before COVID actually happened. You really saw the gap in the market early on. And it seems to me you're solving a really unique problem here at Forage. And I'd be keen to know what started you on that journey. Was it an opportunity hole you saw that could be filled or was there personal experience that led to this? Yeah. I mean, like most founders who, you know, start a business, typically it's somewhat connected to their own personal experience and personal frustrations. And my story, unfortunately, isn't a particularly unique one. It's one that I think many people 
empathize with, but at the same sense, it's good because most people kind of inherently understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. You know, I came from a family of small shop owners. So, you know, I didn't have like lawyers, bankers, accountants in my family. Like a lot of people, when I finished high school, I arbitrarily decided to go off and study you know, law and arts at ANU and there wasn't a bunch of solid reasons as to why I should do that. I think my parents kept telling me that I had a good penchant for arguing, so it was a good place to start. <laughs> and once I went through law school, while I enjoyed my experience in some respects at ANU, in no way kind of prepared me for the world of work and it didn't even really give me the tools to understand where were my superpowers and my passions aligned with? I just had like really poor visibility over that. And I joke about this a lot, but unfortunately it's quite true through a bad combination of watching a lot of suits and Boston legal, <laughs> I decided to go off and become a corporate lawyer. And truthfully, a part of it was like everyone else was going off to become corporate lawyers as well. So I followed the crowd in, in that respect. And once I started working as a corporate lawyer, I realized, whoa, this isn't what I expected it to be. It was a great place to get trained and whatnot, but it clearly just wasn't aligned with what I was interested in and what I was good at. And, you know, that's kind of the simple premise of Forage. And, you know, I noticed that I wasn't the only one. If you look at the attrition rates within large professional service firms, like it's crazy. I think uh, here in the US, 80% of entry-level talent that go into the big four firms, so EYPC, PwC, KPMG and Deloitte leave within three, I think three and a half years of joining those organizations. And so my personal experience and being able to pattern match that against other people's experience was like that classic question, which is there's got to be a better way. <laughs> and that's what Forage is. It tries to flip the idea that you get hired first and trained second on its head so that in an age of software, you can actually get trained first and then hired second. And we think that that's like a far better way of doing things. And quite honestly, it's the tool that I wish I had when I was at university. Yeah. And I think it's so easy to get, you go to uni, you get stuck in one particular career path and you never actually get to explore others because it's very time consuming to get work experience. And especially a lot of older mature age uni students can't actually take that time off to do three months of maybe paid or unpaid work experience. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's obviously super competitive to land jobs today. Like I think it's always been competitive, but it's insanely competitive to land jobs today. But I think one thing that we forget is that the gamut of choice that people have today is so much wider than what it was like 10, 20, 30 years ago. If you take a law degree, for example, like there are so many different avenues, like you can go into big tech, you can go into small tech, you can go into, you know, government, you can go into the not-for-profit sector, you can go into private practice, you can go into public practice, you can work domestically, you can work internationally, like just the result of like globalization and living in a more connected world means that people have so much more choice and our academic institutions haven't really kind of caught up with that reality. So people just are very 
arbitrarily choosing where to start their careers through a bit of blind luck. And that's where we think that we can play a really important role, which is how do you create an experience where people can kind of try before they buy across a bunch of different industries and potential careers without having to commit yourself to like three months of testing out a particular career. And so that's exactly what our programs are designed to do. Yeah, and I think that's fantastic because it's a bit of fun to actually experiment and try different things. And I know the workplace is really changing so rapidly nowadays. And we had a great guest, Angela Clark, last year who actually talked about the importance of these soft skills and how employers are looking for much more than just that piece of paper and maybe your typical work experience. Are you able to comment on a little bit about how the workplace is changing and what company recruiters and HR teams are looking for on top of that typical piece of paper nowadays? Yeah, I mean, it's a loaded loaded question, but the way we think about it and what's core to what we do at Forage is how do you connect companies to new pools of talent? I mean, I'm sure everyone has heard that horrible statistic, and I actually don't know if it still holds true, but that there are more people named Peter on the boards of ASX-listed companies than women, right? And one thing that we're focused on doing with our corporate partners is how did you build workforces which truly reflect all that is great about the diversity of society? And what we challenge our corporate partners to do is like when you look at your workforce, do you see society looking back at you? Like do you see Australia looking back at you? Do you see America looking back at you? And historically, that's just not been the case. So when we think about like what HR teams are focused on at the moment, it's like doing things differently because if you do things the same way, you're going to end up with the same teams, the same workforces. Things aren't going to change. Like in some respects, you do need to find ways to quite dramatically kind of blow up the system. And if you keep fishing from the same pond, you're going to get the same fish. So, you know, you mentioned soft skills there. I think like what a lot of our corporate partners are focused on is looking for signals beyond your WAM or GPA and what school you went to, like what university you went to. Sorry, I say school. I'm uh, (laughs) I'm changing my vernacular now that I'm in the US. But looking beyond, I think, those historical data sets to make like recruiting decisions and starting to look at other signals which we think correlate to long-term success much more than those broken data points. And those historical data points are quite exclusionary or like prohibitive to only certain parts of society. And you certainly see that here in the US where you're 77 times more likely to be accepted into an Ivy League school if you come from the wealthiest 1% of America than if you come from the bottom quintile of America's wealth. So what we're seeing companies do is like look beyond the transcript, look beyond the CV. But more importantly, it's not just like looking at soft skills it's actually looking at the development of a candidate or a potential candidate over an extended period of time. So it's not just looking at their aptitude at one point in time. It's actually looking at the development of their aptitude over an extended period of time. And that becomes a very powerful signal itself. So we're seeing companies engage with talent far earlier and looking at candidates' actual potential and development over an extended period of time. But, you know, there's a lot of work to be done, but I may have walked into this line of work being slightly cynical, but I can honestly say that most of the companies that we're working with are doing everything they can to do things differently, to get different results than what they've been doing for the last 10, 20, 30 years. 
And if you were a, a job seeker right now, how would you demonstrate that you have some of these important signaling points and that you have sort of developed your skills over a number of years? So one of our core theses at Forage is that as companies move away from looking at transcripts or CVs in the future, what they'll actually be looking at is like portfolios of work. So if you think like you're a graphic designer, right, and you apply for a job as a graphic designer somewhere, like it is accepted that you have like a portfolio of work that you would show a potential employer and they would look at that and that's something that they'd heavily weight when making a recruitment decision. And for whatever reason, most other industries don't look at portfolios. And so our simple advice to students who are trying to like land jobs, young people who are trying to land jobs, it really goes for anyone, is they build up a portfolio of work in the industries that you're actually interested in. And yeah, sure, like you're going to have to see CV and whatever, but also submit that work, like show the work product, show like if you're sitting at your desk, like showcase what you're actually capable of. And we find that one of the biggest challenges with getting companies doing things differently is not so much recruiters wanting to do things differently because recruiters do generally want to do things differently. It's actually getting the business itself to want to do things differently or hire people from different backgrounds or hire people from different schools. And one way we've been able to break down, I think, assumptions that people have like closely held about the ability of someone based on the pedigree of the school they went to or whatever it is, is to actually show those portfolio of work. So whether it's like a writing sample, you know, it's like drafting an agreement, it's like doing a presentation on a particular area. And, you know, once people see that, they're like, oh, that's what I would be getting this person to do in this organization. And we find that's the most powerful signal. Yeah. I'm so surprised that this is like showing a portfolio of work when applying for a job is still such a foreign idea, I think, in Australia. And Sometimes the more innovative companies will get you to do like a project during your job interview or something like that. But still, I haven't seen too many actually ask for anything like that. So I guess if you showed the initiative and actually went and put it together and sent it to the company, it would really stand you apart from everyone else, wouldn't it? For sure. I think the simple test you can use is like if you truly want to work in a particular company, in a particular industry, is like how can you deliver value to the place that you want to work? before you even like formally apply to that organization and so we've even got examples at forage where we've hired people into full-time roles from people who have like reached out to us and said hey we really love the work that you're doing there are these three companies that i know that i think would be really interested in using your product can i connect you to them can i introduce you and like for us like this delivering value this person's super high intent they're delivering value to the business already they know what we're about and it's a far more powerful signal as to whether someone's going to be great in our company than looking at like did they go to harvard have they done their mba did they get a high distinction in introduction to pacific politics in semester one of 2008 they're just like poor signals and i would kind of challenge people like how can you show value to a prospective employer before engaging with them and if you do that in a thoughtful compelling way you're going to stand out yeah, and I often, when people tell me they've sent 200 job applications out, I often think, oh, it's probably time at that point to step back and actually change your approach to the job application process instead of just sort of 
spraying and praying. And there's this really cool company in the US, you may have heard of it now that you're over there, it's called Crash and it's uh, headed up by Isaac Morehouse, but it's probably quite complementary to what you're doing where they're actually encouraging people instead of just sending across that typical resume, they actually put together a personalized video pitch for the company and produce sort of an example of work, but specifically for that company. So if you want to apply for a social media role, then maybe you spend a couple of hours developing a social media strategy or some example images for what you do for that company, which is really interesting. And it hasn't really sort of taken off in Australia, but I've been watching their company and what they've been doing and the people that have gotten jobs for using their platform quite intently. And I hope it does come to Australia because it's a really interesting model. Yes, well, without being too biased, I would say that um, that's similar to, to what we do at Forage and we've got hundreds of thousands of students in Australia alone who kind of engage in our courses are producing like legal agreements, uh, producing video pitches, uh, producing email correspondence, uh, producing lines of code, uh, doing a whole range of interesting projects in their own time on our platform and showcasing that work to prospective employers and yeah it's a fantastic model and we think that that's what the future looks like and that's what hiring decisions will be based on five ten years time and the idea of like looking at what your WAM is or what university you went to is going to become far less important in time. I know on your website, when I was just reading it initially, one of the big areas of focus is helping people get that work experience wherever they are and then increasing the opportunities available because often work experience or the lack of can hold people back from opportunities and sort of make the playing field maybe not that fair. So I'd love to hear a bit more about how you think technology is changing the way people can access experience in the workplace. And do you think it's actually sort of increasing that sort of diversity of talent? Yes. I mean, technology is not without its flaws, but fundamentally, I think technology has the capability to be the great equaliser. If you look at what we're doing, for example, right, like the idea that Goldman Sachs here in the US could like open its doors to millions of students around the world like you could be studying computer science in Poland, you might be at one of the technical colleges in India, you might be at a HBCU here in the US and it doesn't matter who you are, what your experience is, like where you're from, who you're connected to, what your degree is, what your marks are, you can engage in these like interactive online courses, you can use that experience on your CV and we work with brands that have Probably there's a perception of prestige, a perception that some of them might be dinosaurs, and the idea that they can kind of fling their doors open, they can only do that because of technology. Like technology enables them to do that. And, you know, I definitely come from a place of privilege myself, but in this role I've learned just like the sheer amount of obstacles that people face in order to access work experience opportunities. It might be as simple as like, I don't have the money to travel somewhere. I don't have a car to get to somewhere to do work experience. I can't afford to do an unpaid internship when I'm trying to put myself through college or support my family or raise kids or whatever it might be. And so building a more socially equitable and accessible system is something that sits at the core of what we're trying to do at Forage. And we would not be able to do that if it weren't for software and technology. 
And I remember pre-COVID, universities were sort of selling you on that overseas work experience and how it would make you stand out and how important that is. But I mean, you can't do that right now. But even then, it wasn't a very sort of accessible way for most people. Like, you can't just go off to Paris <laughs> for a semester. Yeah. And look, like, of course, there is value. Like, if you have the opportunity to go and work overseas in Paris or wherever it might be, like, you should definitely take that opportunity. But just be aware that a huge proportion of young people, just even if that opportunity was put on their lap, it's just not feasible for them to pursue. And so that's, I guess, like what we've recognised and that's what companies recognise as well. And certainly like COVID has, in some respects, exacerbated some of those obstacles. And uh, yeah, without sounding like a broken record, as I said, like technology is kind of the key to overcoming those barriers and ensuring that certainly not a level playing field, but like it's somewhat creates a more level playing field by ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to access work experience opportunities. Which is so important. So for people who are maybe studying right now or after COVID looking to change careers, what are some ways that they can keep on top of the emerging skills required in the workplace, which is sort of so much more than just that piece of paper or your basic training nowadays and ensure their skills stay up to date? Because I know we're entering this sort of where you always have to keep learning to stay on top. It's not like the career model maybe 100 years ago where you'd got your training, you're in your job and you're at that workplace for the rest of your life. So what are some ways um, people can think about that to make sure they're always sort of in the best position to ensure they have a job and they can get the next one? So again, our belief about the future, I mean, not just the future today, but lifelong learning, like you have to sign up to lifelong learning, right? You have to continue to develop yourself. The idea that you can rely on doing a four-year university degree 10, 20, 30 years ago and think that the knowledge and skills that you acquired in that very specific experience is going to hold you in good stead for the rest of your life is a poor strategy. Uh, in my mind. I mean, even when I look back at my university degree, I kind of think like, how much am I still using it today? And like, what parts of it are already dated? And, you know, again, with technology, like it's so easy to go and build skills and build your knowledge. Like there's so many resources out there. You look at like Coursera, you look at Udacity, you look at Udemy, Linda, LinkedIn, which is LinkedIn Learning, Khan Academy, you know, if you're sitting within a company itself and it has like LMS systems or you might use Degreed, whatever it is, there are just so many opportunities. Like the barriers to accessing kind of skill building opportunities and academic opportunities is just significantly lowered. Like you can go and learn everything about like machine learning by spending a couple of hundred bucks on doing a couple of Coursera courses. I know Google here in the US last year have released their Google certificate programs where I think it's like 500 five or $600. You can go and do the Google marketing courses and Google have come out and said that they actually treat those marketing courses as equivalent to a four-year college degree when it comes to the employment process. So those barriers in terms of like cost, time, accessibility are being reduced with technology. And I would strongly recommend uh, anyone who is like serious about their career to not rest on your laurels, not rest on just the experience that you're gaining in the workplace that you're in or the degree that you may have earned 10, 20, 30 years ago and go off and continue to 
build your knowledge and build your skills, particularly in those emerging areas. Yeah, it's so interesting how many um, major software companies are now offering, they have their own internal training. So, I mean, Salesforce is a good example of this where you don't learn it at university, but you can go through this multiple hundred hour Salesforce training ecosystem to become an expert. And then companies employ you just to be their Salesforce expert, which is kind of crazy that that can happen nowadays. But if you're not sort of staying on top of these opportunities and you're just sort of thinking, I just have to go to university to learn my next skill, then you might actually miss out on some sort of great opportunities that are available to you. For sure. I mean, I should probably sign up to the Salesforce uh, <laughs> once I probably need to figure out how to use our Salesforce system better than uh, I currently do. But yeah, I think what we're also seeing is the emergence of new training and education providers that are more focused on developing skills for the future. So less so in Australia, but certainly in the US, we're seeing a real emergence around boot camps. So we're seeing like Flatiron School, Lambda School. Um, we see other companies like Career Karma here in the Bay Area, which, you know, new more accessible training providers where you can go off and do two-month, four-month, six-month courses, which are squarely focused on getting you employed in emerging areas, whether it's like data science, uh, software engineering, whatever it might be. And what we think in the future is that there is going to be a richer tapestry of different pathways into the world of work. And the idea that university is like the sole conduit into the world of work is going to change, like it has to change. And, um, you know, we're starting to see that happen in the US already. And, you know, I suspect in Australia and even in the UK, we're seeing it, they, they'll follow suit. With technology changing so rapidly, universities just can't possibly keep up with it. And so I think it's really awesome that there's all these boot camps and different programs that people can take. And I think in one way it does really help because it gives people the opportunity to sort of try before they buy, before committing a lot of money or before jumping off and quitting their job. Owen and I have always been really encouraging of people giving things a shot before they just quit their day job and go off and do something else. This is just giving people more and more opportunity to experiment. So I'd love to hear if you have some other ideas for people that are maybe interested in going, mm, I'm in this field right now. I'd like to maybe try that one, but I'm not too sure. How can they experiment before they sort of dive fully in? I mean, I caveat this by saying that like people are in different positions of privilege, but the best and most effective way is to go and hunt people out in those different industries and sit down with them and speak to them and understand what it is that they actually do. But as I said earlier, I think that works to an extent, but you really got to take that next step. And my biggest frustration when I was at university and was trying to choose a particular career was, you know, you could talk to people, you could go to like careers fairs, whatever it was. But my biggest frustration was like, but if I'm sitting at my desk at your company, like what is it that I'm actually going to be doing? Like what does my day look like at a very granular level? And like there was no way to really understand what that looked like without except for just getting an actual job there and like walking in there and actually doing it. And so courses such as the courses that we host on Forage are designed to help you overcome that and understand what it's like to work in these different companies. So I would 
really look at like online course providers, training providers that are sponsored by even, you know, we're not the only one, like Coursera, they partner with particular companies as well. But I think that's like a pretty good place to start when thinking about how to make that career pivot and then complement that by actually going and talking to people in the companies that you're interested in and getting a sense of like what it is they actually do. Um, Yeah. I think that's such an important one that people often forget, actually talking to people in the industry they're interested in and saying, well, what do you do all day? What are some of the things that you learned that helped you? What are the things you wish you'd covered before you started this job? I think even like in the last years, people are really responsive on LinkedIn if you send them a personalized message that's uh, really sort of just straightforward, just very nice and honest and not creepy at all. So yeah, I think that's a really good way to even just get an insight because the glossy brochures that you see advertising the company and working there, yeah, it's not all ping pong tables and juice bars. So <laughs> Yes. And, um, and, and look, it changes on the different industries, right? You know, I think you can go one step further. If you're like interested in working in a startup, for example, and I realize there's like a level of perceived glamour around startups and I'm happy to dispel that glamour for any of your listeners. But with startups, for example, I always get a ton of people reach out to me being like, hey, like I'm interested in transitioning into a startup, like would love to chat to you or kind of get an understanding of what it is that you actually do. But going to what I was saying earlier, like startups is a great area where you can show value to potential startups, you know, before you even get to the interview process. And I can tell you through my own personal experience that a lot of the startups that I know and other founders that are within my network, their teams are riddled with people who reached out to the company in advance and delivered value in some way or another before they had like an actual conversation about an actual job. And that just like is just such an easy way for you to a test out like hey like i'm delivering value this is the type of stuff i'd be doing at your company do i enjoy this do i think this would be satisfying but the extension of that is like it's a really easy way to stand out and as a startup founder you're not looking to hire on pedigree you're looking to hire on someone who's going to have like a genuine impact on your business and that's a far more powerful signal and compelling signal to hire someone and a lot of our team have been sourced through that way And it's a great way because if the founder's really busy, they don't have time to maybe hire a recruiter or something. And so they'll go, who do I know in my network? Who has reached out before? Who do I think could do this work and sort of give them a message instead of having to go through all sort of the rigmarole, which I know sort of from personal experience um, working at a startup, it's a, a much sort of easier way in. And it's, I think startups are another good opportunity for people to consider if they really want to get a sort of a crash course in an industry because you end up doing a bit of everything and it's a real trial by fire. Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> One of the last questions I wanted to ask was more about sort of standing out from the crowd in today's job market. And we talked about it a little bit earlier of not just sending your resume to everybody and maybe personalizing it, sending a portfolio of work. I was wondering if you had any maybe recent examples or stories of candidates that you've seen get jobs through sort of different means than maybe the traditional just resume and cover letter? Obviously, if you think about my experience, like I used to work in big law and now work in early stage environments. So the stories are quite different across those different industries and uh, different companies. But typically the stories that I see happen is like where someone goes off and builds something tangentially connected to 
where they want to end up and it kind of catches the eye of a founder or of a, an executive within a startup and, you know, they're like, wow, like I need to meet this person. And, you know, more often than not, that person can be like a 18, 19, 20-year-old. So like I even think about like our team at Forage, some of our earliest interns when we first started we're now you know 45 employees but I think like our first or second intern had gone like built an app that uh, would kind of create community like a community overlay over our programs and he was 19 years old and we were just super impressed and like the ability for someone to go and like roll up their sleeves build something of value to us like just spoke volumes about the particular candidate and when it came time to bring someone on it made perfect sense to hire them so i would say in like early stage technology space is like going off and building things and showing that portfolio of work is the most compelling way to stand out in the crowd i know another story with another company that i went through an accelerator with they'd found a way uh, this person really wanted to work at this company and this young guy had found a way to create a waitlist for this particular product. And like the company hadn't asked them to create a waitlist, so it was slightly risky, but went and created a, uh, a waitlist and managed to get, I think it was like 45,000 people onto this waitlist. And the company had like maybe like 100,000 users by that point and was like, hey, I've gone off and like found you 45,000 users. I haven't spent any money. You know, I'd love to get them on your product, but as part of it, I want a job with you. Um, and so, you know, it's about like taking those kind of calculated bold risks to kind of stand out from the crowd and be like a, a broken record today. But as I, as I said, it's about how do you show value to the company that you want to work for before they're even thinking about hiring you? And I think doing those kind of things and sharing them in public, you don't have too much to lose because even if that company goes, look, we're just not in the position to hire right now or you're not the right fit, other companies are going to be seeing that online. And I think one of the best examples I see this sort of community on Twitter where people are sharing, even if they're at uni or something like that, they're sharing their work online, whether that be writing or software projects. And so they're actually sort of building that reputation in public and showing people what they're doing. And someone just might come across it and go, hey, that's really cool what you're doing. You're the right fit for my team. Why don't you join? So I think it's it's just a great thing to share what you're up to and what you're learning in public. Yeah, it is almost like a loose analogy. I mean, it goes for so many different parts of life, but you know, like, for example, like some of the best advice I got was we get like a lot of relative to our size, we get like a lot of free PR around like what we're building and um, got relationships with a good bunch of journalists. And one of the earliest pieces of advice I was given about like nurturing those relationships is like, hey, like, don't reach out to the journalists and say like, hey, like, I want a story. Can you write a story about like XYZ? It's okay, like, work out what do they write about? Like, what are they interested in? And like, do you have data? Do you have things that you can deliver them and just share that with them and be like, hey, like I saw you're writing about like X, Y, Z. So we've done this quite a lot. You know, we'll find people who are writing about like the future of work, who are writing about students, who are writing about internships and we collect unique data and we'll send it to them and just be like, hey, like we know you're writing on these different topics. We thought this data might be useful for you. Let us know if you need something else. And then, you know, you do that over an extended period of time and then when it comes time, hey, like we actually would love an article covering this recent fundraise or this 
recent milestone in the company, every time they'll say yes because you found ways to deliver value to them first and then when you need something in return, it's far easier than being like, hey, for the first time, you know, this is the first time I met you, can you go off and write something about us? And I think that's really important to keep in mind as you are looking for work or sort of building your resume up, how can you add value to the community, to your future employer, to your friends and family? And I think if you approach it that way, you're going to be a much better stead because it's going to make you think about building a portfolio and showing your work and getting more experience and things like that. And just to finish off for the very last question, I heard you mention in an interview recently about how much choice we have today in our careers. and. For someone that's interested in maybe a dozen different paths, what is your number one sort of suggestion to narrow that down and maybe find one or two points of focus? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a hard question to answer because everyone is so different and it is certainly like a contentious and sometimes like polarizing area to consider, like what should you be looking for in a job? But I can only talk to my personal experience and what I've seen myself and it's like, I'm not saying that you should be working at 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning, but if you're working at 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning, like would you be happy, sorry, that's my dog in the background, uh, would you be happy doing it? Like would you be satisfied doing it? And when I was working in big law, I was working long hours and, of course, you work long hours in most different careers and I was getting to those points in the night and I was like, look, this just doesn't really light my fire. Like, And, you know, a career these days is like, 40, 50 years long. And so if you're three or four years into a career and you're like, this isn't really like doing it for me, just change. Like don't punish yourself and keep doing it and think that things are going to change because they're probably not going to change. And I think we get this misguided sense that we have to stick with an employer for like a really long period of time and we have to stick with something. And like that just makes no sense to me. So I guess it's not directly answering your question, which is like, hey, there are 20 different careers that I want to do. Like, how do I find like one or two points of focus? I think my advice is like with the knowledge that you have and your ability to go pre-test them, like what kind of lights your fire and, you know, that converges with what supports the lifestyle that you want to lead. And then from that, if, you know, within a couple of years, that doesn't feel like the right thing to do rip the band-aid off like you got one career change careers go do something else there's just no point punishing yourself doing something that you're miserable doing for the sake of you know seeing it through absolutely so make a choice and if if it doesn't work out if you don't like it you can make another choice yeah Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And if people want to learn a bit more about you and Forage, where should they go? So our website is www.theforage.com. You can follow us on LinkedIn. You can reach out to me. Uh, My email address is tom at theforage.com. Love to hear from your listeners. Uh, And, you know, any feedback that anyone has on our programs or what we're building or why we're building it, obviously feel free to reach out to us. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing all of your knowledge with our listeners. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community, 
by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. 